Good morning. I hope you are all. Your temperature is less than the uh, real feel out there right now. It's good to have you. The other day when these came in, I was we were testing them on each other, and I was trying to do it on Bob, and it kept saying 91 degrees. I said, Bob, I think something's wrong with either this or you. Um, but it turned out they, they've got these various settings, and one of the settings is for the house, which means you can you know do anything, um, and the other is for the forehead. I had, oh, he won the forehead. I stuck it up there, so he was doing all right. Um, but God bless you. It's good to see you all here. Um, you know, we are obviously doing, uh, given our circumstances, things change a bit. We're, we're sort of expanding some uh, things with the, uh, um, the forehead thermometers. Also, this middle row, um, we've actually um, put an open pew every fourth one, uh, two between uh, uh, two closed ones. So just if you felt you needed a little more space, these middle ones would be definitely the way to go. Um, but we'll continue this um, as long as um, uh, God would have us do it. Uh, we're going to begin our, our worship today. Uh, we'll be blessed with Jess. Just a closer walk, just a closer walk, just a closer walk. 
Amen. It's kind of funny uh, to go through a week here at Lakeside and kind of scramble to figure out what we're going to do week by week. And there's always some curveball that hits us about Monday. The governor's got some new restrictions. Uh, somebody's sick. Something's going on. And, uh, but by the grace of God, here we are worshiping in person together today. So I want to tell you, you're at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed. We really worked hard to try to figure out a way to, to continue to gather and to continue to do so in a way that we feel like we take care of the safety of the people in our congregation. And so uh, for those of you who are here today, welcome. For those of you who are watching at home, welcome. Um, this week, we, uh, we, we found out that uh, the director of worship here, Nathan, had been exposed to COVID. And uh, he ended up having a test, and his test was negative, but we told him he couldn't come to church anyway. And so as a result of that, we kind of had to scramble. It's like, what are we going to do? Who's going to sing? Who's going to lead worship? And what we found out is, and it's really a testimony to it in, in the rehearsals, is we have some great vocalists here. And if you enjoy the ministry of music, if it blesses your soul, you are in uh, for a good blessing today as, as you listen to all the great uh, soloists and musicians uh, share their gifts of singing this morning. As we uh, start worship together today, I want to invite you to join me in a responsive call to worship. We we say together the the Apostles' Creed. If you are able to stand, I want to invite you to do so now. And we start that creed by asking this question, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated as we enjoy the ministry of music once more.
Good morning. Uh, I get to do a couple neat things today. Uh, we get to take some time to inter, uh, honor our graduates. Uh, a little late, um, a little late, but I could be mistaken, but we might actually have more people here for this today than you actually had at graduation. Um, so I don't know. So maybe this is super unique. Um, we'll see. Um, we get to take a moment to, to honor our graduates. Um, and then we get to also, uh, you guys get to hear some of our youth band uh, sing and lead some worship today. So we have Savannah and Anna um, who are going to be singing a couple songs for us. And, um, you know, we get to be blessed uh, by, by their voices in the youth group on Wednesday nights. And so now the church will get to experience some of that. Um, but uh, real quickly, first, you know, first our graduates. Uh, this, it's a great class. It's a small class. We have four uh, students who graduated from Lakeside uh, Youth Ministry this year. And um, also high school, but, um, but more importantly, the youth ministry. And they, they've been great students, and we're, we're going to miss them. We're going to miss their leadership, um, and they're all going to go do some pretty cool things. So if you get a chance, um, after you kind of get to see their faces, you know, veiled, um, if you can recognize them after this, congratulate them, uh, and kind of find out what they're moving on to next. Um, so I want to bring up Christy Bennett, and the women's ministry every year uh, provides Bibles for our graduates. And normally on this Sunday, we would have a nice breakfast over in the Fellowship Center and honor the graduates and their families. And this year, we were unable to do that, obviously. So we've provided um, something with your Bibles that hopefully you can go enjoy some of God's chicken. And if you want to share it with your family, um, you can do that as well. But that's totally up to you. So now we'll ask um, the graduates to come up and get your Bible. Anna Grace Hathcock. And if you'll stay up here, Anna Grace, um, Emma Heimer. And Eli Stubbs will be next if you want to start walking this way. And Emma Grace, if you want to start coming this way, Emma Grace, stop. Your church family is so proud of each of you, and we just want to um, want you to take this Bible with you as you go off to college or go off to career, whatever it is that you plan to do. And your church family will be praying for you. And uh, we'll always be with you um, in prayer and then come back home to see us, too, often. So congratulations. Can I pray for them real quick? Great. All right. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, um, for these, these uh, young adults. Um, Lord, the, the impact they've had. Um, Lord, in, the, in this church, uh, with their families, with their community, Father, we pray that you continue to uh, strengthen their faith as they, as they head out into the world and chase all the challenges that um, the, the, the devil will throw at them. Lord, be with them, keep them strong, um, keep them safe and healthy, um, and be with them always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, he writes, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we gather this day in your love. He who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Our great end is this, to glorify you who has given us existence and salvation. Our petition is that we do this in our works of love, set aside as holy by the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. Help us this day, Lord, to live for Christ and to die to self, to despise the approval of this corrupt generation, to mourn cold and thankless hearts in others and ourselves. Lord, let your word dwell in us richly, the value of eternity being our passion every day. We acknowledge life here is a vapor, but your word everlasting is an unimaginable weight of glory. Grace us to know the unknowable. Help us to believe continually that there can be no true happiness, no lasting fulfillment of purpose apart from a life lived in and for your precious Son. Father, as children in need of holy formation, discipline us according to your love. Make us like Jesus, bearing the fruit of your Spirit. By your mercies, help us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is our spiritual worship. Give us the gift of repentance, by which without no man will grieve his sin. And give us the joy of cleansing, by which without no man will overcome his sin. Father, now receive our gifts, the tangible acknowledgement that you give the power to make wealth. Bless your gospel to this nation and the world in our tithes and offerings. We ask these things in the name given by which we can be saved, our Lord Jesus Christ, praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Savior, I come, quiet my soul.
became flesh for my sin and death now you're risen you were as I tempted and tried human everything I want Tell dear, I count it all as a loss. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself, I belong to you. You give life, you are love, you bring life to 
Well, I don't know about you, but I, I was blessed by the voices of those two young ladies and by Jess as well. I got to hear it in, in both services and praise God for that. Uh, today, we uh, are, are, it marks the sixth week that we are uh, walking through the Ten Commandments. And so as many of uh, those of you who are really smart might guess, that means that we're going to be studying the Sixth Commandment this week. Uh, I think that if I was to kind of speak to the congregation and say, uh, who could tell me what uh, the Sixth Commandment actually is? But I think that, that probably a good bit of you would be able to like kind of say in unison together, we said, uh, do not murder. And then, uh, but then I think this other kind of crew would kind of come from the back and there would be like someone who would say, uh, thou shalt not kill. And, and then if, if we didn't have a Bible like right open in front of us, I can imagine kind of this, this discussion which would develop where some people would be like, wait, which is it? Is it, is it you shall not murder or thou shalt not kill? And we begin to work through this, and maybe one of you would open up a Bible, and it would be a King James Bible, and you would say, here in the King James, it says, thou shalt not kill. And then someone else would grab a pew Bible here at our church, which we use the ESV, and it would say, you shall not murder. And I guess the question I have for us today is, does it matter? Is, is killing and murder the same thing? And, and I would suggest to you that it does matter. That killing and murder aren't necessarily the same thing. Uh, let's try to draw some distinctions between killing and murder together. Does anyone in here like steak? I, I do. I, I happen to really enjoy a good steak. And do you know where steak comes from? That's right. It comes from cows. Delicious cows. Uh, and, and how do we acquire these steaks? Well, as far as I know, the only reliable way to acquire a steak is to harvest a steak by killing a cow. Now, apart from a, a few crazies that are, that are with PETA, most folks don't think uh, the people who work at processing plants are murderers because they've killed a cow. I've never heard of, of, of someone being charged with murder for just for supplying to America's food chain. It just doesn't seem to work that way. Uh, similarly, there's a lot of people in this area who are hunters. I like to hunt myself and uh, I occasionally carry a, a rifle out into the woods, and, and when I do, when I go out to the woods, I have the intention set, and I don't often do it, that I'm going to kill something that day. Uh, usually I, I take it and I, I feed my, my family with it, maybe a deer. Uh, I've been several times for a turkey. And once again, there's not many rational people who refer to this as murder. And this sermon is not, a, uh, it's not really a comprehensive overview about the morality of killing animals. I mean, I can imagine a scenario where you could kill animals and sin. I think if, you, if, you're, if you're being wasteful or you're being abusive or uh, if you come and shoot my dog, I'm going to tell you all those things are very sinful, right? Don't do those things. Uh, but at the base level, why is hunting for deer or processing cows for human consumption not sinful? Well, cute as deers are and delicious as cows are, neither a deer nor a cow is made in the image of God, right? Apologies to all my Hindu friends, but uh, cows are not image bearers of God. However, every man, woman, and child in the history of this world is a unique image bearer of God. Uh, red and yellow, black and white, uh, all image bearers of God. That, this is why racism is such an awful sin, because it's it, is, uh, it devalues the image bearer of God. And the most kind of foundational statement that we can make about the sixth commandment is that murder is about the destruction 
of image bearers of God. Right? That's, that's really what the Sixth Commandment's about. So most people in our world are not going to argue with the fact that murder is wrong. If I say murder is wrong, there's not many people who are going to be bothered by that. Uh, in one sense, thou shalt not murder is the least controversial of all the commandments. Almost every other commandment is going to offend somebody. Somebody's going to disagree and say adultery is not wrong. Uh, idol worshiping is not wrong. Uh, or, or coveting is maybe the natural result of oppression. There's a kind of all these ways in which we justify our sins. But along with stealing, think about this, along with stealing, murder is the only commandment that someone's going to punish you for breaking in America. Right? You can say whatever you want about God. You can, you can not honor the Sabbath. Uh, you don't have to keep his name holy. You can really lie about people, bear false witness. You do all these things, commit adultery, and there's no real ramification in the legal system or the justice system in our country except for those two, stealing and murder. Back to the question at hand. And this is a really interesting question. Is it possible to kill somebody and in, and in doing so not break the fifth commandment? So can you kill someone and in doing so not break the fifth commandment, even though that person is made in the image of God? For instance, what if someone was to creep into your house at night and they were to have harmful intentions to your family? And right before they harmed your family and destroyed the image of God and your wife and in your children, you stepped in and you killed them. Is that murder? Have you broken the Sixth Commandment? Well, let's say that your son is in the military and he's asked to go and fight for his country. And he finds himself on a battlefield and there's an enemy who's pointing a rifle at him. And that enemy wants to destroy the image of God in your son, and instead your son shoots and kills that enemy. Did your son break the Sixth Commandment? Is he guilty of murder? This week in our country, uh, there were three different men who were executed. They were all convicted murderers. These men had all shed innocent blood. They had a history of destroying the image of God in other people. And someone who worked for the Department of Corrections had to put a needle in their arm. They probably had to push a button that injected some deadly chemical. Is the man who put the needle in that person's arm a murderer? In all these situations, every one of them, someone is killed. But throughout history, Christians have, have often argued that not all killing is murder. Do you see kind of why it matters whether or not we translate the sixth commandment as thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder, because in a sense they're saying two different things. It seems like a simple commandment, but it's not. I want to get uh, into more about the Sixth Commandment, but before we do, I want to pause and I want to read all the commandments together today. I want to read the Ten Commandments in their entirety, Exodus 21 through 17. If you're able to stand, I want to invite you to do so now. And as you're standing, we're going to have a word of prayer. Father, we pray that as we read your law today and as we study the Sixth Commandment, that, uh, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, bring conviction into our lives, point us more and more and truer and truer to our need for Jesus and his atoning blood. God, to you be the glory in the reading of your Holy Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord found in Exodus 20, beginning in the first verse. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servants or his female servants or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Church, the grass withers, flowers fade. But the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. This is actually one of the shortest texts that I've ever preached on. In the Hebrew, it's actually only, only two words. Lorach, don't kill. However, the Hebrew language actually has eight different words it can use for our English word kill. And the one that is used in the Ten Commandments has a very specific meaning. Zach is never used to describe someone killed by the legal system. This Hebrew word is never used to describe someone killed in the military. It's, uh, you know, there, there's, there's other words that can be used in the Hebrew uh, for the execution of the death sentence or for the killing of animals. And, and even for the case of self-defense, this word is not used. The, the specific Hebrew word, ratzach, which is actually used in the Ten Commandments, refers to this. What it says is premeditated slaying by malice. I'll say it again. Premeditated slaying by malice. Uh, and from time to time, the Bible used ratzach. It's also used to describe an accidental death caused by negligence. And we generally call that manslaughter in our world. So we got this idea that what, when we read the, the, this part of the Ten Commandments, it's only two words long. Don't murder or don't kill. But the word for kill is, that we understand there is one that really means either in other places where it's used, either premeditated killing or negligence that leads to death. Now what I could do today is I could spend a lot of my time uh, and I could look at certain types of killings uh, that, that aren't maybe breaking the Sixth Commandments. I could look at, uh, you know, self-defense, capital punishment, uh, the violence of war, and I'm sure that would be interesting. But instead, what I, what I want to try to do is look at four ways that people actually do break 
the sixth commandment. The, the, the four most common ways that I think in our culture we tend to break the sixth commandment that you shall not murder. So let's do that. Four ways to break the sixth commandment. The first way that, that people break the sixth commandment is by homicide. The deliberate unlawful killing of one person by another. The deliberate unlawful killing of one person by another is known as homicide. A very interesting study put out by uh, the American Psychological Association says that by the time a child in the United States is in elementary school, and I just want to say that again, not high school, not junior high, by the time that they uh, finish elementary school, so fifth or sixth grade, depending on kind of what school district you're in, it says that he or she would have watched 8,000 televised murders and 100,000 acts of on-screen violence. Now imagine, if you will, probably the first time that a kid uh, sees something like this. Imagine the parents are at home and they're, they're watching a, a movie or a TV show and they think the kid's in the other room and the kid walks in and they happen to glance at the TV right as someone is being killed. And I can imagine that they're very bothered by that. I imagine... It disturbs them. It bothers their soul. They see the blood and the guts, and they realize someone in there is in pain, and they're dying. And, and the natural reaction of the kid is, is to turn away and to ask you to turn it off or to try to leave. That's a natural response to murder. It should shock us. It should bother us. It should upset us. You should want to look away. But something happens after watching 8,000 murders on, on television. You become desensitized. It becomes no big deal anymore. It's, it's just a movie. There's a man, his name is uh, Dr. David Grossman, and uh, he's a military psychologist, so does psychological work for the military. And what he studies for the military is a very specific job, and it's a very kind of almost a sad job if you th- think about it. This is not what I would like to do with my life. But what he does is, is that he teaches soldiers to overcome their natural reluctance to kill. A strange job, that, that when soldiers come into the military, that they actually have, in many cases, a reluctance to want to kill people. And I, I think that's very, very natural. And what he's noticed is, is him as a psychologist, he's got to help these people overcome that. Well, can you imagine what he might do to help people overcome that? He desensitizes them. He shows them thousands and thousands of images of people being killed over and over and over again. And it is the very same thing that happens to children in America today. They're subject to the same methods of conditioning that you would subject a soldier to if you were trying to desensitize them. Show it to them enough, and they won't be bothered by it. And I don't, I don't tend to be a strange alarmist, especially like when it comes to video games and movies. I don't tend to be the guys like, don't let your kids play video games or don't, don't watch our movies. That doesn't tend to be me. But, but don't you find it troubling that such a large portion of our population in the United States is growing up conditioned to not be bothered by homicide? But shouldn't that bother us? Um, doesn't there seem like there's more violence in our society right now? Be thoughtful about what you hand to your children. Consider for yourself, if you've become desensitized to homicide, and it's easy to happen. I mean, it, it, if I just turn on the news, it just feels like every day there's, there's 20 more murders in Chicago. And I can't keep up, really, I can't keep straight all the different mass shootings that we've had in our country in the last couple of years. The world is a broken place. 
And my charge to you is to guard your heart so that rage does not lead you down this path. The first way that we break the sixth commandment is by homicide. The second way we break the sixth commandment is by suicide. Suicide is a permanent, irreversible attempt to solve a temporary problem. Say that one more time. Suicide is a permanent, irreversible attempt to solve a temporary problem. Most people who commit suicide don't want to die. They just, they just want to end their pain. So they make uh, permanent, irreversible choices. You, the, the pastor out there named Rick Warren, he wrote Purpose Driven Life. He's pastors a church in California. And he, he's got this very interesting uh, illustration, which he says that uh, suicide is like using a nuclear bomb to kill uh, a nest of mosquitoes. Right? The, the suicide's like using a nuclear bomb to kill a nest of mosquitoes. And if you can imagine it, uh, going into your backyard and finding your backyard's full of you know, mosquitoes everywhere, you say, I know how to solve this problem. And so you go to your closet and you get that nuclear bomb that we all have in our closet and you set off the nuclear bomb. And you think, well, this is going to take care of the problem. Well, it does, but the problem is it, it, it wipes out your entire community. It melts your family. It melts your friends. It's irreversible. It's going to do far more damage to far more people than you could ever imagine. Suicide is not a victimless crime. It's essentially taking all the pain that you feel and ending it by passing that pain on to everyone who loves you. There are better ways to overcome your pain. And so to the person who's contemplating suicide, I'd say this. I, I know your pain is real, and I, I believe your pain is real. I know you feel hopeless, but there is hope. Know this, you are loved by God. You bear his very image. You are important to this world. Be patient and reach out to somebody. Find someone who can be a good counselor for you. Share what you're going through. Don't make any major decisions when you're depressed. That's just a good rule of thumb for all of us. Don't make any major lifelong decisions when you're depressed. Find someone who can help you, who can talk things out with you. Here's what the Bible says about suicides. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You may not feel like it right now, but if you're a Christian, you are God's temple. And what the Bible actually says is that, is, that, is that we were bought with a price, and that price is the blood of Jesus. And that really, if you think about it, that, that you're not your own anymore. Uh, your life is not yours to end. If you kill you, you destroy the image of God inside of you, and, and that is a sin. It was funny, you know, when I was growing up and, uh, in, in Texas, I don't know where it came from, but there was always this belief that, that I would hear from, like, the fringes of religious culture, and it would always suggest that if you kill yourself, you're going to hell. I don't know, maybe you grew up with that idea, like, you, you heard that, and uh, I heard that a lot growing up. When I look at Scripture, I don't, I don't find that in Scripture. I don't, I don't find, uh, the, the, say that clearly anyway, that if you kill yourself by suicide, you're going to hell. What I, what I do find, though, is that um, this idea of suicide is sin. And excuse me for being crass, but I would even say that, that, that suicide is selfish. That you end your pain at the expense of hurting everyone else around you. So what do you do? Like, what do you do if you're really, really in pain? 
Scripture's clear. What you do if you're really, really in pain is that you cry out. That's what it says. It says you cry out for help. No one's minimizing your pain, but look at the promises God has for you if you cry out. It's Psalm 34, 17 through 20. Here's what it says. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirits. It says this, that, that when the righteous cry for help, that the Lord hears them and delivers them out of their troubles. That's, you know, what a great promise. There is hope, but you just need to cry out. Cry out to God. Maybe, maybe you need to cry out to somebody else in your life. But, but if you're going through this, this brokenness, if you, if you feel like you've got a crushed spirit, cry out. I can imagine someone who, who read this text with us and they heard that it started out by saying that when the righteous cry out, and they go, well, that can't be talking about me because I'm not righteous if you only knew. And like, listen, I understand that because uh, I don't feel righteous either. The scripture even says in places, no one's righteous, not one. But if you've been born again, if the Holy Spirit indwells you, then you get to have the righteousness of Christ. And this is about you. If you cry out having the Holy Spirit in you, the Lord is, is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed. He delivers us out of our trouble. It's a great promise for you. Listen, I just want to say again, you can't trust yourself when you're overcome to the point of death. The second way we break the sixth commandment is by suicide. Homicide, suicide. And the third way we break the sixth commandment is by abortion. When I said earlier that murder was one of the the two commandments which you could actually get in trouble for in this country, I was not thinking about abortion at that time. Abortion is apparently something that America has no trouble stomaching. And it's a great issue of political debate. Some people think that it's the right of a mother to kill her child in her womb and that it's no one's business but her own. Others believe that they have been called to speak up for the voiceless children who are victims of abortion. I find myself in the second category. I find myself eager to speak up for the victims of abortion. And I count as victims, not just the infants who have died, but also the mothers who carry with them the shame and guilt of going through an abortion. Statistically, I know that I'm, that I'm very likely am speaking today to a mother who has had an abortion. And if that's you, I just need to say you're welcomed and you're loved and you're equally as sinner as the rest of us. And I don't want to cause you pain by talking about this. But I do need to address the issue for the good of Christ's church. I can't, can't not speak to other moms and other young women and other young men because it causes you pain. You're loved, you're welcomed, but we need to speak about abortion. Abortion is sin. Abortion is homicide. Infants in the womb are not part of the mother's body. They have their, their own unique DNA. This is one of those issues where people who highly value science will refuse to acknowledge science that clearly shows that the baby is not part of the mother's body. I've I've preached on abortion in more detail in the past. It's up on our website if you'd like to go listen to it. Um, So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here again this morning short of saying this. um, Babies in the womb are made in the image of God. 
And we read earlier this verse from 1 Corinthians where, where Paul says, hey, you were all bought with a price, and, and therefore because you're bought with your price, you're not your own. And since our body doesn't even belong to us, that entitlement thinking, truly the child in our womb does not belong to us. It belongs to Christ as well. Even in utero, that child is the very image of God. And that is really at the heart what is so broken about murder. I believe that the church should speak clearly and compassionately about preserving life in the womb. The third way that we break the sixth commandment is abortion. Homicide, suicide, abortion, and one more. Hatred. Some of you were thinking to yourself, like, hey, listen, I got this. All I got to do is, is don't commit homicide, don't, don't kill myself, don't abort a pregnancy, and I'm good to go. But then Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, it's Matthew 5, 21 through 22, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Isn't that interesting? You shall not murder just went from being the easiest commandment to keep to being one of the hardest to keep. Because even if you don't kill, you do tend to get angry. I know you people. You get angry at me. You tend to have hatred in your heart. John Calvin called this a murder of the heart. You ever hate somebody? I don't know. I think I've hated people before. They do something to me that I just can't tend to be around them. I can't tend to look at them. Do you ever feel this kind of thing? Do you ever find yourself really hating someone? I bet you do, even if you don't think you do. It's kind of a tendency of our heart is to, to not think we're guilty of things. Back in, in 1931, there was a, one, of, one of America's greatest criminals. Uh, he, was, he was a wanted man, and he had a great nickname. He had this nickname, uh, Two-Gun Crowley. You ever heard of Two-Gun Crowley? Probably not. Uh, but he was one of those kind of old outlaws, and uh, he had been charged with a string of murders across the country, killing uh, women and children and, and even police officers. And when he was finally captured, there was a big shootout between him and the police, and the police sh- shot him dead. And they went to search his body, and when they did, they reached into his pocket and pulled out a bloody note. The most violent criminal in the country shot men and women and police officers. Here's what that note says. It says this. Under my coat is a weary heart, but a kind one that would do nobody harm. <laughs> I find it ironic, right? The biggest murderers in the country is going to a huge crime spree, and when they, when they finally catch him, and they find this note in his pocket that says, Under my coat is a weary heart, but a kind one, and would do nobody harm. The most violent murderer of the day thinks he has a kind heart and that he wouldn't do anyone harm even though he's been on a nationwide murderous outrage, or excuse me, rampage. Uh, What's my point? I mean, why bring that up? You know, he denies he has a murderous heart. I don't think he's as much a liar as I just think he's not self-aware at all. Like, I think that's the way we all kind of function. That he hasn't really honestly evaluated his heart. And in his mind, he's always been the good guy. And that everyone else has always been at fault in his conflicts. And here's the deal. I just want to say this. You do this too. You think you're always the good guy in your conflicts. You like to pretend that when you're angry 
in that situation, you're justified. Or that when, you're, when you hate someone, it's okay because of what they did. and You're on the side of righteousness, and the Lord's probably on your side too. Jesus says, everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. 1 John 3.15 says this, put that up there, it says this, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. <laughs> That's strong language. I'm, you know, I'm almost not sure what to make of it. Let me, let me try to take a stab at it. This is what I think it's saying. If you can allow yourself to really hate someone, that is proof, like if you really, really hate someone and that, and that hatred is, lives unchecked in your heart, it's kind of proof that the Spirit of God is not at work inside of you because um, the Spirit of God rejects and convicts against hatred, right? And listen, I, I, I've had these conversations with people in the past. As it was probably a couple years ago, I was talking to somebody, and we were talking about someone from my past that I was clearly still angry with. I clearly still res- had like all this grudge about unresolved stuff. And in the conversation, I found myself getting worked up and talking about it again. And what I'm saying is, is not that um, you can't ever be angry, but it's that you always are forced to reconcile what the Spirit's calling you to feel with this anger. So it's almost like every day you're having to forgive this person again and choose to not live in hatred and anger. If I was you and I was angry, I would start doing something to address my anger because Jesus says it's the same as murder. Same breaking of the commandment. And it carries with it judgment. And and that line in 1 John 3, 15, that if everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him, that's a scary line. Let me end by saying this. We've gone through four. Homicide, suicide, abortion, and hatred. These are the ways we tend to break the sixth commandment of thou shalt not murder. When Jesus was arrested, uh, Pontius Pilate was there, and Pontius Pilate was trying to handle all the politics of the day. And, and as he was, he, 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 I don't think really in studying Pontius Pilate, I don't really think Pontius wanted to crucify Jesus. I think he was there. He's like, listen, is there a way to get out of this? Do I, I, just, I don't want to get involved in all this. And, and he brings out a murderer by the name of Barabbas. Barabbas is a real famous murderer. And he, he looks at the crowd, and he says, I'll release one of them to you. Which would you have me release, uh, Jesus or Barabbas? And if you remember the story, the crowd says, give us Barabbas the murderer and crucify Jesus. And then Jesus was taken and he was hung on a cross in between two men. And uh, history is debated about what these two men were on the cross for. Was it, were they criminals? I mean, were they, were they thieves? Were they murderers? Were they some combination of thieves and murderers, were they maybe bandits who had killed and stolen from people? Probably both of, both of these men on the cross were thieves and murderers. And one of the murderers on the cross next to Jesus turns to him and he mocks him, makes fun of him for the sign that says King of the Jews over his head. And the other murderer on the cross on Jesus' other sign turns to Jesus and he, he does a few things. First off, he confesses Jesus' lordship. And then he acknowledges that he is a sinner. And then the second murderer says to Jesus, 
Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Last question. Do you think that you're a murderer? Maybe another way to say this, have you broken the sixth commandment? Because I have. Through my hatred. Through my anger. If you have too, I guess we all have a choice to make. Let's just call it the choice of the murderer's cross. You can be like the first murderer, and you can mock Jesus. You can mock the idea that, that what he says, that hatred is murder. Or you can be like the second man. You can choose to profess that Jesus is Lord. You can choose to confess your sins to him. And you can find that same promise which Jesus offered to the second man on the cross, that today you will be with me in paradise. Friends, I want to encourage you to to repent of your sins of murder and to cast your hope upon Jesus. This is the sixth commandment. Let us pray. Father, uh, I thank you that your word and your law often point us uh, to our need for Jesus. And uh, there's no difference today as we read upon this uh, commandment, uh, shall not murder. But uh, we recognize that in our hatred and in our anger, we tend to break this commandment. And we are guilty and we really need Jesus. For those of us in this room who have broken that commandment in another way, Father, be gracious there as well. Bring conviction, bring repentance, and bring healing. We pray this in Jesus' name and all the church said, Amen. Let's once again enjoy the ministry of music. As the call comes ringing, all the restless waves send the light, send the light. There are souls to rescue, there are souls to save, send the light, send the light, send the light, the blessed gospel light, let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light and let its radiant beams light the world forevermore. Let us pray that grace may everywhere abound. Send the light, send the light, and a Christ-like spirit everywhere be found. Send the light, send the light, send the light, the blessed gospel light, let it shine from shore to shore, send the light, and let its radiant beams light the world forevermore. We start today by asking a couple questions, is a uh... Is it the same to say thou shall not kill and thou shall not murder? As we examine that, we realize that there's a distinction between killing and murder. I think there is biblically in the history of the Christians and the way that they've looked at those there are. Um, we've talked about some ideas that maybe which killing isn't murder the way it's described in the Ten Commandments, and especially the Sixth Commandment there. Uh, we've also talked about some ways where uh, it really is. The ways we break the Sixth Commandment are Homicide, suicide, 
abortion, and hatred. May you be people of love, not people of hate. Listen, we've talked about some serious issues today, some that are disturbing to people. Um, if you have a history of suicide or a history of abortion, and what we've talked about today has stirred up some serious emotions in your heart, maybe anger, maybe guilt, and you need to speak with me, my email is Tyson at lakesidepress.com. I, I welcome you to send me a message. I'd love to talk you through that and maybe point you, uh, point you to a counselor or someone else who could listen and talk with you. Uh, go now and take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus' the Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit until we meet again. Uh, let's enjoy the ministry of music once more. Let us not grow weary in the work of love. Send the light, send the light. Let us gather jewels for a crown above. Send the light, send the light, send the light. The blessed gospel light, let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light and let its radiance. 